All right, welcome to episode 28 of the Broken to Unbroken podcast. We are going to name that Bickering with the Big Nalls. So I want to welcome <laughs> Drew and Megan Bignall, uh, good friends of a lot of years. Uh, I've known both of them for a very long time. I worked with one of them for a short period of time. Uh, and welcome. Thanks for making the time. Thank you for letting me bribe you with delicious steaks uh, to come over and, and report a record a podcast. We're happy to be yeah, here. Absolutely. So uh, Drew and Megan own Mission CrossFit uh, here in San Antonio. It's considered uh, what, as far as seniority goes, where are you guys at? Because you got to be in the, in some of the OGs of San Antonio, because a couple of them that have, were started very early on, have closed down or kind of morphed. So where are you at as far as seniority goes in San Antonio? Um, I believe we're number three right now um, behind um, Elite CrossFit and um, Body Armor. Actually, CrossFit San Antonio is there as well. So I think when we opened up, we were like gym five or six in the city. And then a couple of the OGs have closed down over the years, which is always sad to see. Um, but been around a long time, um, and uh, it's been quite a journey for sure. And one of the very few that has original ownership from the original, so that shows a lot um, that you haven't like sold off or morphed or changed careers or anything. So that's that's pretty cool to see. Uh, and you guys have also outgrown several locations, so that's that's pretty cool to see that you're like Russian dolling your way up into. Uh, larger locations and their location right now is pretty impressive. And I was, I was very fortunate to train there for a, a period of time. And before I forget, I want to mention that like, there's a lot of gyms they are just hard asses and they're like, Oh yeah, we don't have a 5am. We have a 530. Like we're never going to have a 5am. That's dumb. Uh, and we were left homeless uh, with about 12 people from our, our previous gym uh, that got rid of the 5 a.m. And we called Drew up and we're like, you don't have a 5 a.m., but that only works for us. Uh, and Drew's like, well, we'll make one. Uh, and he made one and accommodated us. And a lot of a lot of people found a, a home to get fit there. So that was that just showed the the kind of business person and the kind of uh, just how accommodating they are with with their members. So that's why you guys have been in business so long. So that was kind of cool. And, uh, Maddie and I have never really forgotten that, that we had a home for a period of time with you guys. So, uh, just go through like, uh, and, and Drew and Megan, you can both chime in like the kind of the history of how you found CrossFit, uh, where you started, uh, and then how mission came to be. I started in April of 2010. I was working at a gymnastics gym when one of my fellow coaches begged me to go try out one of the classes on one of our nights off. And um, I was a uh, active member at Bally's Fitness. And yeah. I thought, <laughs> CrossFit is so dumb. I've heard about it for a year or two. Um, but I'm like, no, that's so dumb. I would never do that. And she begged and begged and begged. And finally we went and tried it out. I started at P3 CrossFit in Houston. Um, and it gave me a realization that I could have a sport as an adult and I was missing that. So, um, I had my first taste and I've been doing it ever since. 
Yeah, my story is uh, kind of similar. Um, Megan found her way in um, as like a second chance as an athlete doing something competitive and my my way kind of that same process. Um, I started CrossFit in 2006. I don't really know exactly when. Um, we kind of dabbled in it a little bit when I was at college here at Trinity University in San Antonio and we did it here in town with uh, Body Armor. Um, back then, you know, CrossFit was still at its infancy and it wasn't very big. So it was more like kind of get together and do deadlifts and wall balls and burpees with your buddies and who can go fastest. Um, and it kind of evolved over time. Um, and then, uh, as I became more interested in doing CrossFit and really liking it, um, and liking the fitness kind of training aspects, I decided to open up my own company in 2009, um, and then started to kind of spend so much time doing that and training clients at those prime times that I couldn't really attend CrossFit classes anymore and started working out by myself and then ended up opening up the gym in 2010. Um, and then it's kind of been a journey ever since then. Like uh, Nick had said earlier, uh, we've gone through a couple different moves and growths over the years. We've grown a couple times and outgrown gyms, which is fantastic. And then my wife joined me in, I always get this wrong. What was it? The uh, first week of June in 2015. That's right. And the anniversary. Uh, yeah. The anniversary. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember that uh, um, very vividly. Yeah, me too. So it's been great. Um, and ever since then, it's been the best it's ever been. Like we've grown, we've had our ups and downs, but pretty much since uh, she joined the business and it became the family business that it has become along with the other coaches that we have, it's, uh, it's grown tremendously. It's just a pleasure to do it. And we've been very lucky and very uh, privileged to be able to have what we have now. So I'm going to go off the beaten path already. Uh, first tangent of the podcast, five minutes and 40 <laughs> seconds in. Uh, and so you just, when you said like family business, uh, is there anything that you guys have to set as far as boundaries, as far as like, <laughs> okay, like this is going to wreck our marriage or wreck the business if we don't set some boundaries here of like, cause there are a lot of husband and wife couples that couldn't work together because they'd kill each other at work or they would kill each other at home. But you guys seem to have a very good balance because like I've known you guys for a while to where um, you have different personalities in dealing with members and it seems to balance out very well to where you connect with different personalities very well and where one member may be like, I'm, I'm going to go to Drew with this or I'll go to Megan with this. Uh, can you talk to me about what boundaries and kind of rules and like off limits you have at home and at work? <laughs> it was, uh, it was hard to come up with in the very beginning. Um, when we first started, we together, we were grinding just morning and night and we weren't, I wasn't used to getting that little of sleep and it was really, really rough until we first changed our schedules to accommodate, um, a little bit more sleep, a little less time in the gym. And, uh, once we got married and went on our honeymoon, that was the first time in months that we actually felt like a couple instead of just people who work together. Um, and we realized that getting away from the gym where we didn't have to be on call was really helpful. And so we decided that every few months, three to four months that we have to get out of town and go on a vacation. And it sounds like such a first world problem, but we are the most married sometimes when we're out of town on vacation, just being two married people instead of two business owners. Um, so that's the first thing that we do is really focus on taking time for us. And if it weren't for our staff, 
um, we would never be able to get that done. So that was the first order of business is building up a great team who we could trust um, to help us. So we thank them for the success of our marriage. Um, and then we've gone through a lot of things like only talking about work in this room. <laughs> that didn't work. That didn't and work. Then, <laughs> um, but now it's like, hey, I really need to talk about this work question and we're at home. And a lot of the times we do find that we're talking about it and we have to recognize it and say, hey, like really this needs to stop or it's 10 o'clock at night. Enough. No mm-hmm. more talking about work. Uh, I think those are the biggest things that we've yeah. changed. Hashtag bickering with the big mouths, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the hardest thing is for me, um, I would say that I'm probably like the 90% culprit of the uh, work outside of work thing. Um, that's because I usually don't view work as work. Like I really enjoy the gym. I like working with people. I like all of those things and I don't really view it as work. And I've always been told from my dad that, don't do something that feels like work, do like something that you enjoy and that you love and that you don't ever feel like you're working. And I don't really feel like I'm ever working. I do get tired and I want to go to bed and I'm working, but it doesn't ever feel like working. So when Megan brings up something from work and she's like, Hey, you know, this happened. Um, she's more or less just kind of like venting to me or talking to me because she doesn't have a lot of people that she can always do that with. Um, and I take that as, oh, how do we solve a solution? And then that turns into bickering. And then storyboard time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, every time. So flow I mean, chart, whiteboard. Couple, yeah, four years down the road, that's still in process. But like Megan said, you know, we got we got married the same year that we started working together. So she had, you know, moved down to San Antonio from Houston about seven months prior to starting working at the gym, and then we got married like five months, after, four months after she started working at the gym, and then we bought a house five months after that. So in the first like year and a half, we lived together, started working together, got married, bought a house all in less than two years. That um, escalated quickly. That, yeah. Like really <laughs> quick. Got out of um, so it's been, it's been a journey, but I think we've gotten a pretty good balance and we, we do a good job of making sure that we have our own time where, you know, she works the morning, I work the evening. So we'd see each other during the day for an hour or two where we get to work out together, but we're not coaching together all the time. We're not in the gym together all the time. And to touch on what you asked, Nick, um, when I came in, I recognized that there were some things that Drew wasn't as good at as he could be. Um, but he can't do it all. He can't do everything. So one of the things that I find, whether people would agree with it or not, is I do a little bit better of a job with building relationships and remembering things about people and their families and what they do for work. And these little tidbits that for Drew, although he's heard it, you know, one time to multiple times, it's just not something that stuck in his brain. So I tend to take on more of a relationship role with our members, which is really helpful um, because then he gets to do things that he's good at that I'm not. And so just learning each other, learning at what we're good at and being okay with being bad at something mm-hmm. and passing that along has also helped us just thrive more than yeah. bicker. Yeah. And I think that's, part of the the process of going from like an early stage gym where you're not a business owner, you're just self-employed, you're just a business owner on paper into the IRS. Uh, Because if you leave, business stops because the business starts based on one person being very talented or two people being very talented at what they do and being good at like teaching other people how to be good at doing that. Uh, But there's got to be a process of uh, trust and delegation that it was tricky to transition from going from, okay, 
I'm the janitor, HR, bookkeeper, <laughs> coach for every class, yeah. uh, the trash man, uh, the bag lady, like everything. Uh, so can you talk about like the process of going from like a uh, kind of a two person ship or a one person ship to like building the business to what it is right now? Because yeah. you can't really do what you do right now without your your good people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just like any other business, like it gets to a point where you know that you can't do it by yourself. You know, obviously for for really large corporations, it happens when those companies are generating 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year in, in sales. And that's not a CrossFit gym type of uh, revenue base, but you still get to a point where you get burned out. So one of the big things that I said um, early was that our coaches wouldn't coach more than about 10 to 15 hours a week. And by doing that, you make sure they don't get burned out, you know, because they're showing up 10 or 15 minutes early. They're staying 10 or 15 minutes after um, our gym, uh, you know, sometimes is air conditioned, sometimes not, depending on how hot it is. Um, and uh, so that's a lot of time spent in the heat. Um, and then they want to work out. Um, and it, I tell people that it's like um, giving a presentation to your board of directors and having to do it four, five, six, seven times a day. And by the seventh time, it's not very good. Um, and we can't have that. So if we want our quality and our experience to be as high as it can be for all our members, then we want to make sure that our coaches are on point. So, you know, Megan can attest to this too, that coaching three hours in the evening, you know, our 435, 36, 30 classes is exhausting. It's just draining. And that's only three classes in a day. Um, but the transition going from, you know, kind of like the mom and pop gym to much more of kind of like a, a corporate style gym was a process for sure. Um, there's a, a lot of things that go into doing that. Um, but the main principle is making sure that you have a staff and you're delegating that information to them and that you can rely on them. And Megan made a really good point when she joined the, joined our, uh, our gym and, and helped with the processes about that we're on a bus and we're going in a direction. And, oh, you, you told me you sure that? Uh, well, it's company, from this, good to great. This company yeah. once asked me to read this book. Uh, yeah. From good to great. Uh, go on. Um, it, it rhymes with hair rusty. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so we're all on the same bus. We're going the same direction. Either you're on the bus or you're not on the bus. And everybody was on the bus. So we kind of laid the foundation. And a lot of changes had to happen in order for that to happen. Like, yeah, like you're here to coach. But, you know, we also need to, like, pick up the trash. We need to make sure the equipment is set up. Like, uh, the coaches that close the night before, like the whole gym is prepped and steady for the prepped and ready for the class tomorrow. So all the bikes are up, the rowers are up, boxes are out, whatever we need is set up and really organized. So there's a presentation. So when people come in, it's, Hey, come in, get changed. Boom, go not. Oh, Hey, let's get 14 boxes out, 10 rowers out, 15 barbells. Like we try to have everything out so we can move quickly and get a lot done. So, um, to go out back on that good to great, uh, when we did, trying to delegate everything out. Um, it was really hard for Drew. He was so used to doing everything himself. And like, when I showed up, I was like, whatever you say, whatever we say goes, like I got your back. And that was really hard for him because people would have maybe said that in the past and didn't necessarily have his back. But if you say, you know, only drop empty barbells, that's what we're going to do. We would never do that at our gym. Um, but that's, we stuck together and we did have some people that weren't going in the direction we were going and it lasted because for a little while we needed them at the time, but when it was done, it was done. And, um, we definitely appreciated them, but I'm, I'm glad they got off the bus too. Cause it wasn't a good fit. And I think that it, 
Because I've been doing CrossFit about as long as you. Like I started in Cairo school around 2006. Uh, my learning curve just isn't as, as, as advanced as Drew's. Because uh, <laughs> I'm kind of gangly and not athletic. Uh, but it seems to be that like when gyms hit a certain number of members, like either somebody starts sleeping with someone else's old lady. Uh, <laughs> there's so much drama. Uh, like there's just like clicks and factions and like, you just can't help it because it's just math in motion to where you can have some really good, legit people in, in one place. And it's just, you're going to get differing philosophies on training, like just ways of life. And like every gym, when they get to this point, like, unless they just kind of put the blindfold over their eyes and they ignore it and it gets super, super spicy and nasty and festers. If you don't like address it, then like you could like, if, if you have a breakup and it turns into two successful gyms, that's great. Uh, but it's better than having like two opposing camps, like mean girling each other in the same gym. Right. Uh, so I think that there's, there's good ways to do that. And there's like the, the worst thing you can do. It's almost like two parents staying in a household, not getting divorced because of the kids. Right. And there's just a toxic energy, toxic environment around. So I, but I think every gym gets that way. It's, I don't think it's unique to any environment. It's, I've seen it happen in every state, every city every area that I've trained, like gyms hit a carrying capacity. Like it happened to quad city CrossFit and they had a like OC three left, uh, and like left and took a ton of members and it just gets gnarly. And like the people that started quad city CrossFit, like they started it in the basement of a church. Like they're like the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Uh, and would never like, start drama with anybody it just kind of happens so um then and that just seems to be a, a common observation so other than that as far as like from early stages to late stages what are the biggest changes from 2006 crossfit to crossfit now like owning a gym um there's a uh no real leeway for like um, mistakes or lack in experience or lack in what you're providing. Um, since people have choices, just like anything else, you know, you're paying a premium for something. So and it's actually ironic that you asked that question because today we were, we were talking with uh, one of our members and, you know, we've changed a little bit of our programming and kind of how we do stuff now. Um, and it's for the better, for sure. Um, and I had just finished this long cycle of programming and this uh, client was like, man, I really love your programming. It's great. I really hope that everyone else can live up to what you're doing. And I'm like, cool. Like, thank you for that. But like, I know that my coaches are going to do a great job. And, and Megan just started her cycle. Um, and that same person came up and, you know, said, Hey, I love it. Like it's been two weeks. Like I'm so happy. And it's like, why, it's why we pay you the big bucks and like cracking a joke on it. But like, realistically, that is a part of it. You know, we, this year has been kind of like an improvement and change year for our gym. We've 
we've done a bunch of renovations, we've changed things up, we've seen how the gym has flowed for the last five years in the space that we're at. And we're like, well, what issues do we have? And what can we change? And we've spent money on that. Um, and it's, you know, it's our money, it's money that we work hard for, and that we're giving back to our members, whether it's equipment or amenities or facilities or whatever it is. And then our time and things like programming and like Megan working with clients and, and knowing who they are and what they're about and their family and their situation and everything. Yeah, I think being able to provide them with just a good space. I think that's really important. They're looking for a good space and a good community, and that can be hard to get. Mutual suffering is powerful. Yeah. Mutual suffering. <laughs> I mean, back in back in 2010 when we opened up, like, you know, I'll be honest, I've told you, like, I've told people this, that, you know, I, I didn't know as much then as I do now, for sure. I mean, I'm 10 years older and the knowledge of CrossFit and what we do. And, and it was kind of like making things up and like standing there in front of the whiteboard at nine o'clock at night and being like, what should we do tomorrow for the workout? <laughs> like just making things up and like not really remembering exactly what we were doing. Um, and having to evolve from that. And that's that mom and pop changing into a much more of like a corporate standing gym. Like, we're still a mom and pop, but like you have to have protocols and SOPs and like things that need to be accomplished because you need to register and know what's happening. And if you can't know what's happening every time, then you can't change it and make positive changes. In uh, we were talking about this with, uh, I think I was talking to Art or one of the original like Alamo guys mm-hmm. that I started out with and we we're talking about how it used to be like so badass if you could snatch 95 pounds or, <laughs> or like if, if you could clean squat, clean 135 for reps, like you were just <laughs> badass. Uh, and so that is kind of segueing into our next question on both of you have competed at a high level um, in competing in like 2000, like 10, 11, 12, uh, it, it looks to be a very different demographic population, uh, different level of dedication. Uh, you have all this corporate sponsorship money. You have all these, uh, it's basically a new brand of professional athlete versus it used to just be like pond hockey. Mm -hmm. Uh, you just go out there, chalk up, throw some weights around, uh, and throw on some dubstep and, and, and do your thing. Uh, but what changes have you seen from like your early days of competing, both of you, uh, to like current? One of the biggest changes, my very first competition, it was very unorganized and they just kind of threw some events at us and they made it up on the fly. Um, so that was one of, that was the first of one I had. And then it was, it was different back in the day. Like people weren't, people were more open and friendly with each other where now I feel like as just a spectator, when I walk into competitions, the spectators are staring down the other spectators, like just to see what they're about. And I, that's different. Um, and I went to regionals in 2011 on a team in Tomball and it was a ton of fun, but I was working out three days a week and Tomball. I, Tomball, yeah, where we <laughs> hashtag burnt hands, burnt yeah. hands um, <laughs> working out three hours a week at the gym and just, it was three hours a week and I could make it to regionals with my team. And then the next year it was the same three hours a week, but I made it to regionals and then I finished regionals somehow made it all the way to the last day. And I finished the last workout by being able, I didn't finish the last workout. I deadlifted one deadlift and I sat down because it was a PR. Um, but 
you know, now if I was that same athlete, I wouldn't even place in the top three fourths of the open. Um, so the dedication that these people are making the recovery, the nutrition is just on a whole new, another level that I'm not that kind of athlete. I'm going to go eat some bread here soon. Um, and maybe stay up late watching some TV and be reckless and steak and avocado bombs. Yes. Like (laughs) it's just so different for what they had to do. And I just wasn't going to be long-term for sure. Drew was a better athlete. He always placed higher than I ever did. Um, but I had so much fun doing it and I just wish it was a little bit friendlier yeah. Than, it, than it is now. I, I really do miss the friendliness. Like I remember doing fight gone bad, yeah. doing wall balls against a U-Haul behind the older Rossi <laughs> headquarters. That. that was the first year we did that. And then it was like that. big and corporate. And then they like sued for the rights of fight gone bad. Mm-hmm. And then it's not anything. Yeah, no, it's it's like, uh, the lawyers got it again. Yeah. Everybody wants yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'd agree with Megan totally on that. You know, I've, I was lucky enough to have a, a really long competitive career in it. Um, and uh, if you can call it a career, um, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, I really enjoyed it. Um, it definitely gave me an opportunity to be a, a second athlete again. But the transition from you know competing between 2009 and 2013 to what it is now is just dramatic. Like, I bet I guess the easiest way to compare it would be back then. You know, prior to kind of Reebok really starting to spend money and growing. Pre-Bach. Pre-Bach. <laughs> Pre-Bach. Aromas, 2009. <laughs> Um, trying to grow, trying to grow the sport, um, that, uh, you had kind of people who were, um, not a jack of all trade. They were individual sport athletes. Like they were really good at weightlifting or they're really good at gymnastics, or they had really good metabolic conditioning. And somehow they're able to fight their way up to qualify to go to, uh, to go to the games. Um, but nowadays, like everybody's equal, like really they're all roughly the same size. They can all snatch, they can clean, they can all roughly do exactly the same thing, um, to a minute degree. Um, but you're really looking at who's going to put in the most amount of effort, who's going to put the most amount of time, who's going to put whatever they need to in to try to win. Um, and that's the difference, you know, you're looking at, I think there was an athlete once we were talking about, this particular female games athlete and how long they trained. Um, and she was talking 30 to 35 hours a week. And that was on top of her full-time job. And it's like, there's very few people in the world who are willing to do that, who aren't living in the basement of their mom and dads, um, that can also support themselves at the same time. Um, and, uh, so it's just very interesting transitioning between those from back then to now. When do you think the year was where we hit the tipping point? Do you think it was like 2012, 2013? I think 13 is when we really, 13 into 14 is when I felt it. Yeah, 13 to 14, because 13 was the last year that I did it, and that was hard. And I trained a long time for that year, um, and it was already really hard. And they'd already gotten away from having like the the, um, specialized athletes and into more kind of broad. Yeah, you got you had like kind of a changing of the guard in this regional to where like you and Brian and Asia kind yeah. of bowed out, and then you had the Gamboas yeah. and and those those guys coming in. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting to see. Like, I don't think people really got that much like physically better. I think the bar just got raised so high to right. where so fast. like the the bar was set highest on like how fast you could do Fran back in the day. Right. And then people got really good at Olympic lifting to where 
like CrossFitters could compete at USA weightlifting competitions and do very well, yeah. uh, much to the chagrin of the Olympic weightlifting com- <laughs> yeah. community that made glorious fun of them two yeah. years previous. Um, so I think it, it it's an interesting time. So what with the the whole controversial Glassman, because uh, I've I've met people that are on both sides of the fence. Um, like I understand Glassman's decision to not make the games a money, like money sucking, like uh super bowl like event and intimidate the gen pop, uh, for just like, um, but I think that there are some people they're like, there's no regionals. I don't have the access to watch my friends compete. Uh, I have to travel all over the world to win one of these invitationals to qualify or win the open to go to the games. Uh, what do you think the the general consensus is going to be, and what are your guys' opinions? I um I kind of miss regionals. I kind of don't. It kind of gave some people this perception of themselves that was a little far off the spectrum. Like I go to regionals, cool. Um, so it kind of brought some people back down to reality that we're just doing the sport, um, for fun. And I think what I see out of it is I feel like some people watch it on TV and they're like, I can't do that. Like, damn it. So a lot of people are so intimidated by it. So I'm like, look at me. Does it look like I can do that? (laughs) Like, I don't look like those guys. We're just real people, uh, just trying to get healthy. So I do like that. It's gone to the more general public. We're just trying to have longevity. I'm just trying to help you move better for your army test or for whatever it is you're trying to do outside of here. Um, I do kind of miss the spectation of the games and how they did all of that. I loved watching it. I loved watching those higher level athletes, but we'll get it soon. Yeah. Madison. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the whole transition from what they had, you know, from what they did last year to what they're doing now is a really hard transition. Um, if you look back to what the games and the open and the regionals and everything did, it took them like five or six years to understand how to do it really well. You know, last year they did a really great job. The whole process overall was really well done. And now they're starting over again. And there's a whole new, you know, organization and a whole new process of how to do this. And, you know, I think, um, Glassman's done a really good job and I think he's on the right track from like a business standpoint and what CrossFit is as a whole. Um, I think that there's definitely improvements to be done through the open and through the qualifiers. Um, and, uh, I think like Megan said, like it's a realization for people who like, if you want to go to the games, like it's a full-time job, like you can't just show up and be like, well, I qualified as the last spot. Well, actually I was like six below the last and four people declined. So I got bumped up. Like that doesn't really happen anymore. Like you've got to go and make it your job and you've got to spend the money just like you would be if you were going to do, you know, an Ironman or a triathlon, like you have to spend the money and spend the time and spend the effort. And, and somewhat I feel bad for, you know, a former games athlete who would go to like seven qualifiers and not qualify like that's a lot of money and time but at the end of the day that's you know part of the game now yeah they've essentially taken pretty much every iron man out of the country except for kona right and you just run a triathlon against everybody else and then the top person or top 15 people go to kona right <laughs> right right and there's and that's that's kind of how it's going to be and i think with more and more qualifiers i think they have to get much more strict in what they do and you know and 
you know, they can't let people like buy into these qualifiers. Everyone's got to qualify like the, the college same. controversy, right? They gotta, <laughs> everyone's got to qualify the same way in the fair same process. Fair. fair is fair. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, but you know, give it five years. Just everyone thought the games was not going to work five years ago and it was too much stuff and they couldn't do this. And so give it some time. Yeah. And I think that like the biggest controversy is over some of those elective bids, mm-hmm. right. uh, like the obstacle course racing guy that mm-hmm. can't snatch over 200 pounds and they right. give him a bid to the games. But like that guy's probably pissing his pants right now because he's just going to get embarrassed and he's going to get cut the first day. Well, and, uh, and, like he's super fit from like if we are stereo equalizing people like like American Ninja Warrior stuff. Great. Cardio. <laughs> great. But yeah. as soon as you put a heavy barbell in his hands, not like so not so great. I think that's a, a really interesting point, too, because like I've talked with a lot of people about the cuts and, you know, they, they've talked about and posted that each day they're going to cut basically half the field all the way down to they get to 10. And it really comes down to that first couple days of what workouts they're going to do. And that goes back to the open a couple of years ago. More than that. When did they do the seven minutes of burpees? Was that, that 12? Was it was like five years, five ago. years ago. So they did seven minutes of burpees and there was like maybe five or six like top level athletes that were in the top like 200. And then there were all these like athletes that were like 105 pounds and four (laughs) foot six that just like smoked everybody and it skewed the score. So that same thing could happen in the games, depending on what type of workouts they do. And you know, that obstacle course racer, he could absolutely win a triathlon and a long swim and something else and qualify and kick somebody else off Mm -hmm. and then get to the next day and he can't snatch X weight on a barbell. So, um, you know, that I think that's the controversial thing too that could happen. And I think they're gonna start more GPP yeah. Yeah. uh because because of something like that, because you don't want a triathlete or like the the dude from the Spartan races to yeah. kick out like like somebody who could be a podium person right. at sure. the end of the day. Like right. you look at like some of these podium finishers and a lot of them get 28th place in the first event. Right. And then they just get like fifth and seventh and third and right. first all the way through. And right. they end up on, in third place. Right. Like Vellner had yeah. like a lung collapse last year yeah. and still got second. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, in that dude's crazy. Cause that dude is in Cairo school Jeez. and, training right like just moved i like to follow him he's pretty funny on instagram too yeah so um yeah and so is there any other bickering we would like to do before we go sear steaks and eat bread <laughs> Did and we eat bicker today? avocado bombs we had a little bit of bickering before this started hopefully that was oh yeah lack of communication that's yeah i think that's just, just really think about working with your partner before yeah. you get there. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> that's we'll leave yeah, it. it's the, uh, the world's largest partner workout. Yeah, that's, yeah. When you're it's with, hard. you know, she is my best friend and I love her. But 15 hours a day, I kind of wanna. And we're both really strong personalities. So yeah, like, I both, think I'm always right, yeah. but he thinks he's always right. Yeah. So the, we know who's always right. The workout <laughs> is AMRAP skull crushers. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite word. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we're going to go eat some delicious dead cow. And uh, thank you guys for letting me bribe you with steak and and bickering with us this evening. Yeah, Thanks for having us.